we're not thinking about expansion, like go to every market kind of strategy. We're thinking about expansion as how can we gain depth in the markets that we're in and really become local experts with the kind of properties we're handling. Welcome, Closers. Today, we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. Season one, focused on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage a 100 or a 1,000 doors, this is the show that's going to help you see the big picture and get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Sweet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I am talking with Chuck Hadamer, the co-founder and CMO of One Rent. This is a property management startup that has raised over $8 million in funding and currently manages over 1,200 homes in two different states. All this in just a few short years. Today, we're going to talk to Chuck about how he has managed to handle the growth side of the business in such a short period of time. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Great. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Glad to be here. So let's start here. Let's talk a little bit about your background personally, before business, before the startup. What was some of your background kind of leading up to today? You know, f- funny enough, my my background was not in uh, real estate. I got started with technology when I was um, just in you know in high school as a, as a kid uh, playing around and and how technology played a role in the actually uh, in film production. I was really into film production at the time and um, video production and. But yeah, my background had always been in kind of really enjoying this this concept of putting together projects, whether it's a you know a film um, or as well as in my previous life, I, I ran a web design company, so I was uh, putting together websites and and working with clients all across the country. And I really found that I was really passionate about this concept of being able to kind of work on a creative project from beginning to end. And so when it was in this transitionary point where I transitioned from, you know, a huge interest in film to to really technology and and startup and entrepreneurism, and really that was driven by you know being um, at the helm of this web design company that my uh, brothers and I had started, and working with you know clients uh, all over the East Coast, working with them over the on the West Coast, and building and uh, you know websites for small businesses, and really trying to figure out you know how to help these small businesses grow that's really where i kind of got my start in the in the marketing and technology world uh, before one rent so talk to me about where real estate actually comes into your purview i know that you had some you've done some student activism i'm thinking like the santa clara single housing issue was that kind of a pivotal point in you becoming more aware of of the potential of of real estate Exactly, exactly. So um, when I was at Santa Clara University in the in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, a couple of years into my my schooling there, it came about time to rent a house and move off campus with all your friends, as is kind of the the college kid's dream. And it's amazing just how sensitive and and kind of intense the housing process is, especially somewhere like the Bay Area where. You know, prices are high and around universities, the properties aren't in great condition. And so there was this huge um, ordinance that was on the table at the local Santa Clara City Council 
which would basically limit the number of occupants per room in a building. My friends and I, you know, we were in the process of trying to, you know, rent a house. There is, you know, eight of us together uh, trying to f- work our way into a four bedroom house. And it felt like the Hunger Games trying to find a place to live and everyone's doing it a year ahead of time. So it was this really hot button issue um, that really, you know, impacted people's lives down to the core of, you know, what, what they're able to afford and enjoy about their home. We kind of caught on to this housing ordinance and, um, you know, in order to kind of sustain affordability for students and to really protect the, you know, student uh, body at Santa Clara University, my my co-founders and I at the time, we put together, you know, kind of an initiative to attend all the city council meetings, listen to the complaints and stories of neighbors around the university and really try to work together and open up a discussion to to, you know, come to kind of an agreement around, you know, what are the rules around these rental property around the university in terms of usage and, you know, how active they could be and what role did they play in the community. And it was through that experience that I really saw just how important housing really was both to, you know, people that were not renting in the neighborhood as well as to students looking for their first home um, outside of, you know, living with their parents or, or in a dorm. So, that really intrigued me, um, the, just this concept that you could build technology that really impacted the real world as opposed to just another platform or online you know, piece of software out there. And, and really, you know, I found a huge passion in that. And it's, you know, it's both good and bad. You, you get by dealing with one of the most sensitive parts of people's lives, whether it's a, you know, an investment or their home. You also open up, you know, a whole can of worms if things go wrong. So I really like that challenge and that responsibility that we have to really impact people's lives and real estate. That's that's really what drew me into it. Um, the fact that it is a real world asset and it's it's a very valuable asset to very many people. Um, so there's a way that you can take care of that and and um, really provide a great experience to a property owner or renter. So you and your co-founders meet up at some point, start off with an idea. I believe the initial idea was some kind of a rental listing aggregator, then pivots into something more mature, full-bodied management, company grows over time. The area that you are in, being roughly within the valley area, the broader bay area, is notorious for spitting out companies that have a similar story, folks that are young, folks that are leveraging technology, that are somehow able to very quickly, sometimes even dropping out of school, very quickly go from iterating on an idea, basic proof of concept, raising money, et cetera. And that timeline relative to what it typically looks like forming a property management company in the rest of the nation is very, very different. One of the chief differences is there's a lot of pressure. So talk me through that process of going from meeting some some guys in college, having an idea to raising $8 million, and now presumably being balls to the wall in terms of the type of growth that you need to sustain in order to, to make those numbers work. Talk talk me through that that early transition process. Yeah, I think the in the very early transition process, it's easy to kind of get caught up in the the idea stage and and just kind of spin your wheels trying to think, okay, how can you know how can we be truly different and truly game changing? And for us, it was um, we just saw we, the initial pain from the renter perspective 
And we knew that this was, you know, a huge problem for us and our peers. And in order for us to kind of really move from just that idea phase to execution, you know, the first day I remember uh, we, we put together, you know, kind of a, a PowerPoint of, you know, a website that we imagined uh, for a student housing platform where we could just aggregate all the inventory around a, a, the university onto one platform. We could help our peers and ourselves find these places, apply online, qualify to rent it, and then ultimately sign the lease and pay online. And we took this just basic, you know, PowerPoint kind of mock-up and took it to, you know, one of the local property managers, actually, um, who, you know, we had identified who had a majority of the inventory around the university. And, you know, this is in a matter of days from the kind of the the inception of the, the idea and the problem that we discovered to, you know, a very, very simple kind of solution that, to be frank, you know, what is not completely unique that's out there today, but it was something that solved a pain point in the market that we were in, which was around a university that we were attending. So we took this PowerPoint mock-up to this property manager's office. You know, we presented it. We said, hey, we're going to make you a great deal. You don't have to pay for anything. Your property is on one platform and it acts as the bridge between you and the students. That was our first customer, you know, before we had even put any money into the business within just a couple weeks of um, kind of the the idea phase, we we had just put together a very simple you know PowerPoint overview, so showing some very simple you know features that we believed would be valuable to students and and to the property manager, and you know we we kind of had a unique market where there was one or two property managers that controlled a majority of the market, so getting the supply side was actually pretty quick to get them on board and onboard all their properties, and this was back before we became a property manager, so. That experience working with these property managers, you know, we would go into the the offices of of the local managers, sit down with them, and uh, you cannot believe the number of hours we just spent, you know, going through all their paperwork, all the different processes they used. And over time, we learned a lot of things that ultimately forced us to kind of transform ourselves into becoming actually a property manager ourselves and really a full service licensed brokerage uh, where we could handle the whole life cycle of a rental property. Um, and we ultimately moved away from that student market into the general market. That first transition phase is all about getting your first customer, getting one person to say yes, because otherwise you're going to you know, quickly burn out or just spin your tires with your founders or your you know, friends who are thinking about this idea. As soon as you get someone who says yes or someone who says, hmm, this may be interesting, that is, you know, motivation. That's the best kind of motivation you can get. And from there, it's just, yeah, balls to the wall, you know, full speed ahead, 14-hour days to, to try and build out that that solution that someone said yes to. So as you're teasing out this interest and trying to validate the concept early on, what were your inspirations? Did you look to guys like Steve Blank, follow a traditional customer discovery process? Did you wing it, just talk to people? What was the, the structure that you used to guide that inquiry? Yeah, I think uh, we really like the kind of lean startup methodology, you know, from Eric Reese and, and the kind of agile development as well. And so one of the key parts of that kind of customer discovery is, is really, you know, not building anything until you have some level of product market fit or just understanding of what product you're going to bring to the market. And so what that meant was, you know, literally drawing your your ideas or you know uh, putting together if you if you have an app or a website you know putting together that stuff on paper and just getting out there and presenting it to people um, and it doesn't need to be pretty but it was it, it was not necessarily like a step by step structure we were following but 
the key thing we knew first was before we build any sort of technology or implement any sort of technology, you know, talk to as many people and present your ideas to them to see how they respond, whether it's, you know, visual mock-ups or, or drawings of your technology and iterate on that first before you actually commit to, you know, building anything in, in code. And the way that we grew our business, picking up the phone and calling as many property owners as possible and just, you know, iterating on how our, how we were pitching the, the service. So a couple more steps, eventually you do get to the point where you have built something, you've got a couple customers. When you actually went to raise an initial seed round, what did you actually have in hand? Did you have a, a cobbled together product? I mean, what, what was the proof of concept that, that you brought to get to raise that initial round? So we actually did uh, bootstrap the kind of first version of OneRent, and like I mentioned, it's you know it's a student housing platform. So we we you know had over 200 properties on our platform. We weren't the property manager; these were we were working with property managers, we were working with landlords. They were listing their their properties on our site. So we had that kind of supply side growth engine working, where you know we were literally cold calling out to owners. They were signing up, so we had that model uh, working. And then on the supply side, you know, being students ourselves and, and really building out um, this initiative around the student housing ordinance that was being pushed through city council, that helped us gain a lot of traction, kind of brand awareness among the renter side, the demand side. And so we had this supply and demand kind of market matched. And what that allowed us to do is um, we actually processed you know, over uh, 200 leases through the, the system and processed over a million dollars in rent. And that is what we had kind of as our initial um, business model and proof of concept uh, that we then took to some angel investors to raise, raise our first round. Are you saying there was a pivot post-funding in that regard in terms of moving towards being a full-service property management company? Exactly. So that kind of happened, you know, when we when we reached the end of the rental cycle at the university, you know, everyone goes home for the summer and uh, no one's renting property anymore. So we kind of had this this like all of a sudden this wall that we hit where we we couldn't even expand to another university yet because they were also out of school. So this kind of seasonal business model we we identified as problematic. And generally, when you get in those moments where you're stuck, once again, you get out the get out of the building and talk to people. And we went and talked with a lot of the property managers and individual owners. And what we found is that the opportunity and the kind of role that technology can play in uh, the rental experience is most valuable for the individual owner. And we were finding that the individual landlords were really excited about one rent. They were willing to pay us for more and more services. And they wanted more and more help on the operational side because property management is such a difficult business to get right. You know, there's over 200,000 property managers in the U.S. alone. Um, it's an extremely fragmented market. And some of those pain points of a fragmented experience were coming through to us from the individual owners. While the property managers we were working with, again, we were sitting in their office just seeing the workflow. And they weren't as willing to, you know, kind of uh, pay for a platform. There was already these large incumbents like Appfolio or Buildium. Um, so we weren't, we didn't want to try and build just another CRM. Uh, so at that point, partway through 2015 is when we made uh, the pivot to a full service property management company. And, you know, we had our, our, our first building signed up within, within kind of a, a few weeks of, of making that move. And we, we became a licensed brokerage at that time. Got it. So this is a great part of the story. So you raise money with thesis A, you move to thesis B, 
get some more traction, raise some more funding. So the next time that you raise additional funding, now you're pitching the true opportunity that you're currently pursuing. So just go ahead and describe for me what exactly the opportunity within this industry is that you see. Where does one rent want to be in three to five years? Yeah. So I think there's kind of this, there's these three phases of real estate technology. You kind of have the first phase, which is, you know, really the age of unlocking information for consumers to make better buying decisions. So think of Zillow, Trulia, you know, the, the kind of large platform plays out there where it's exposing information that was previously held within the industry. And then that that phase really kind of kick-started technology into real estate. Then the kind of second phase we see is um, more of these kind of utility or value-add platforms where you have not only like the Zillow platform, but you also have these tools baked on top of it. So you have online rental applications or online payments, things like that. And so you think of companies like, uh, you know, Airbnb is a great example. They've got a platform as well as some some useful tools as part of it. And then, you know, the third phase is where we really see OneRent and where we really see the opportunity in, in real estate. And that is um, these transformative models that really take a process from beginning to end, even the operational part uh, from beginning to end and transform that business model uh, for scale and for rapid scale. We can put together, you know, a business that not only does the kind of online part where people can find property, but we can even take that experience even further. So, you know, if you're renting a property nowadays, you may go to Craigslist, Zillow, Trulia, and maybe you get 10 listings that you're interested in. So maybe out of those 10, you have five that are actually already taken or outdated uh, or the owner's not responding, so you don't get them. And then you've got five to work with and you've got to spend all this time going and trying to get in touch with the owner and try to schedule a showing. And and maybe there's some scams from Craigslist that you're trying to deal with and you those are some that remove some listings from you. So the difference with one rent is that instead of spending all that time trying to chase after these these um, these owners or or managers that are listing on these platforms, when you come to one rent as a renter, um, the real magic moment is that not only can you view the listing, but in one click, kind of on demand, within four hour notice, you can schedule showing at any property. And once you arrive to that property, you could even apply while you're there for free. These are the steps that we're pushing towards this kind of one-click rental experience. And that's where we see a huge opportunity is to take this beginning-to-end rental process and control both the logistics side of it as well as the online side of it to provide a seamless experience for the renter and the owner. And so from the owner perspective, on the flip side of that is – uh, the the key to being kind of a great property manager that we've discovered is be proactive. So rather than being a reactive property manager, we really think about our the role of technology as how can we use technology to be more proactive. So what that means is how can we use all the data that we're collecting about someone's property to send you know recommendations back to them or to you know help them optimize their investment uh, strategy when it comes to you know buying rental property. So that's where we see you know a lot. Of the future of, of OneRent is transforming, you know, owning rental property more into kind of owning stock and being able to manage your rental property as if you were managing a stock, um, and to get smart recommendations throughout that process on how to optimize 
you know, your property, whether it's, you know, doing maintenance kind of proactively ahead of the bad seasons or, you know, if it's uh, adjusting your strategy during the leasing time to more proactively, you know, meet the needs of the renter market to, to reduce vacancy costs. These are some of the things that technology really plays a role in uh, for us to, to kind of drive the, the business and, and where we see the opportunity to kind of create consistency in a market that is so, so fragmented like property management. Yeah, that's exactly right. I believe it's fair to say that nobody currently owns more than 1% of the single family market right now. That demonstrates the fragmentation. And I love what you said at the end there. You're talking about a consistent consumer brand experience. When I think about what it means to have a true consumer brand that is nationally identifiable or at least follows with you through your life cycle of a customer, whether or not I'm living in the Bay and maybe I moved to Seattle and I moved to Austin, my attachment to the brand is defined by both the brand being able to service me as I go from market A to B to C, but also being able to manage a bigger uh, life cycle of my experience. And this is actually a very similar concept to what Max Nussenbaum talked about in the last interview that I did with him. And I, I think it's one thing that is unique to the companies, the few property management companies that have more of a tech focus is that kind of all encompassing vision. It's not just being ubiquitous. It's not just being in multiple markets, but it's owning a much broader and deeper section of the customer experience. And obviously technology is a huge part of that. So that's a super exciting vision. Let's dive into how you intend on making that actually happen. And let's start here. You are the CMO of OneRent in addition to being one of the co-founders. So what does that mean? What are your actual uh, day-to-day job responsibilities? Yeah, so you know, day-to-day, what I focus on is um, is really the the kind of marketing and business development side of the uh, of OneRent. And uh, as everyone knows, kind of with a with a, a startup kind of environment, you have to wear many hats. Even with a small business environment like a small property management firm, you have to wear many hats. So, but I really focus on the uh, growth side, um, especially on the supply side. So really focusing on working with property owners. Um, working with those customers, learning about what their, you know, needs are and where we can, you know, add more value and really differentiate from what is the status quo in the industry. And so, you know, day to day, what I'm working on is is talking with customers, putting together, you know, uh, kind of outreach campaigns and, and also working with our product team um, to really translate the customer needs uh, back to the product team to make sure that we're putting together, you know, a, a kick-ass product that that really delivers that proactive experience that I was talking about. So you're doing this in the context of a growth environment that is presumably a lot more demanding than many smaller businesses where regardless of whether or not they would or would not categorize themselves as a lifestyle business, by nature, the industry being that it's recurring revenue puts you in a position where you can choose to grow and that's awesome, it's fantastic, or not, and you can still have a, an exciting business that where you're not going to be uh, starting from zero every 30 days. So in light of the additional burdens that come with fundraising, how do you think about the growth ramp that you guys need to be able to hit? Like, where do you expect to be in terms of doors within the next uh, three to five years? 
in terms of uh, where we expect to be in uh, for doors, you know, we're not looking to be like a, you know, a technology company like Snapchat or Facebook where you get millions of users all at once. That's just not uh, how real estate is designed. So, you know, we're at uh, over 1,200 properties at this point, and um, we're looking to really, you know, scale that up to probably around, you know, five, five to 8,000 over the um, next few years and really get that depth within each market. So we're not thinking about expansion, um, like, you know, go to every market kind of uh, strategy. We're thinking about expansion as um, how can we gain depth in the markets that we're in and really become, you know, local experts with the kind of properties we're handling. And also what that means for us is we're not looking to expand into large multifamily buildings right off the bat, right? We're we're really uh, tackling what is 90% of the market. You know, 90% of properties are 15 units or less, you know, across the, the rental market industry. And single family homes represents the fastest growing segment of new rental property inventory. So that is a, that to us is uh, just speaks to just, you know, how challenging it is to uh, create a standardized experience across single family and, and small small multifamily. So we believe that's where our growth will be. And, and we expect to ramp up as we gain kind of this uh, this brand awareness within local markets. So um, right now we're in the Bay Area and up in Seattle. You know, we may be looking to one new market for the beginning of 2018, but we're really focused on kind of these top 20 metro areas for now. We believe that th- those are good markets to be in just because of, you know, high rental turnover, low vacancy, you know, rates so we can we can place tenants quickly. And there's just, you know, a, a higher kind of uh, average rent on property. So it's good. It's good for the business model as well. This is a really smart strategy going deep rather than wide. It allows you to have penetration. There's that network effect. There's really that ability to develop an unfair competitive advantage because of the economies of scale, even if it's in a smaller market. One of the things I want to hear about is the differences you've already observed between Seattle and the Bay Area. But before we do that, I want to mention our show sponsor, the PM Grow Summit, which is happening at the end of January in 2018. If you consider yourself a growth-minded property management entrepreneur, if you're interested in leveling up your sales and marketing game, if you want to go pro and network with other best-in-class entrepreneurs and stay on the bleeding edge of the industry, you need to be at the PM Growth Summit. We really bring in the best of the best, and you can get your ticket now by going to pmgrowsummit.com and using the coupon code JORDAN, that's my name, to get $100 off. Now, moving forward here, Chuck, you just talked about the slow expansion, but you already are in two markets. What are the primary differences that you're already seeing between the Bay versus Seattle? Funny enough, the first thing that popped into my mind when you said that was uh, mold. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that popped into my mind, but uh, being a property manager, it is real. And, uh, and mold is scary. And that is uh, much more caught up in Seattle. Uh, no, but uh, but in all seriousness, I think uh, the biggest difference is that in Seattle, as everyone probably kind of has seen out there today, you know, Seattle is, is booming and um, there's over a thousand people moving there every week. Uh, you got Amazon and Google and Facebook all in, all in downtown. And so there's a huge um, population kind of uh, influx. And so we find that, you know, properties are actually moving very quickly in Seattle right now, especially in this time of year, kind of the September and August timeframe. And with Seattle, I think the other thing is just, you know, with a little bit less kind of uh, robust 
uh, rental regulation and laws, there's, it's a little bit easier to kind of penetrate the market and, and establish yourself as a local expert. Uh, with that being said, you know, right now they've, they've been implementing a lot of new rental laws. And so it is getting a lot more complex and starting to look like San Francisco a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, in, in the end of the day, the rents are lower in Seattle, but uh, we find that vacancy is lower because we can, you know, move properties faster. And then in terms of growth up there, you know, I think the type of property owners who may be more kind of um, uh, understanding of technology and more kind of willing to adapt technology into managing their real estate investment, um, those type of owners in Seattle are, are very, you know, very responsive to our message and our value proposition. And that could be, you know, San Francisco and Seattle, they trade populations pretty heavily. Uh, uh, so we find it to be a great kind of technology corridor uh, that we want to we want to own when it comes to the rental market. Sure. Yeah. So this is interesting. This could be a potential barrier to expansion. Moving from where you're at to Tennessee, Ohio, you could run into the point where there actually is uh, resistance rather than the perception of enablement through technology. Not to say that a smartphone and apps is not ubiquitous. I mean, that, that really truly is a ubiquitous experience across the nation. But on some level, maybe there, maybe there will be a little bit of a tech barrier, people slower to adopt the processes that are not just a value add, but are really core to how you guys operate in certain markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, and that's uh, you know, I think one of our greatest challenges is, you know, really overcoming that kind of objection of, you know, I don't want my property to be automated, right? So it's really, really important to still keep the human touch and, and that's always, you know, core to every piece of technology we have also has kind of a dedicated, you know, person that sits behind it that is always available. So it'll be interesting to see when we do expand to those kind of tertiary markets, especially because there's a lot more out-of-state owners. Kind of our long-term goal is, right, if we build up this great network of people who may just have one or two real estate investments, and that's really the type of owner we do best with, then let's say they take a, you know, get a taste of their experience investing and they say, well, hey, where can I find other property that to add to my portfolio? And if we're expanding into these tertiary markets, you know, we want to be the ones to answer that question for them and say, hey, here's a property, you know, over in, in Texas or, um, you know, in Chicago that, that, you know, you may want to invest in and have everything centralized under one property manager. And that's unheard of in today's market because uh, no property manager has such national reach. Chuck, I want to transition to talk about the conversion funnel for one rent when it comes to owner prospects. I want to talk through the classic tofu, mofu, bofu framework. So let's go with top of funnel first. When you think about generating awareness, particularly in light of the fact that you're a funded company, right? You can afford billboards. You can afford traditional media with less accountability. How do you think about driving awareness at the top of the funnel? Where are you investing your time? What's working for you guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of building kind of top of funnel awareness, um, one of the key areas that we've we've started investing in that's that's really promising is partnerships with real estate brokerages and real estate agents. If you think about, you know, a property owner, we really want to think about what are all those moments where, you know, they may be um, making these kind of decisions about who to hire as a property manager. And one of those moments, obviously, is buying the property. So we went out to individual agents uh, and, and established partnerships with them. 
and saw some some really good traction around you know referrals of of owners back to us and uh, we we took this kind of case study working with about fifty agents in the Bay Area really only about you know twenty five were really active engaged and, and referring but we took that as a case study. And we uh, then were able to uh, sign partnerships with a couple of large brokerages, such as Intero Real Estate, which has over 3,000 agents there in the Bay Area, and Zephyr Real Estate up in San Francisco with over 360 agents. Um, and so those partnerships have been huge for us to generate awareness and you know get our name out in the real estate community. Uh, once again, I'm I told you my background. I don't have years and years of experience in real estate, and our team you know is is young and new, and so uh, we. We need to make sure that we are, you know, a key kind of um, our credibility is is upheld within the real estate community. And so one of the best ways to do that is is obviously, you know, get be a part of that network and that community. So uh, we love to attend different events. Uh, there's a great group that does uh, called Tech Estate Today um, that puts on great real estate technology events here in the Bay Area. That community, getting our word out to real estate agents has been a great way to generate awareness. Aside from that, you know, we, we do have we still to this day we we you know we pick up the phone and we talk to owners and we reach out to them and so that's still a, you know a large chunk of our business is just having a kind of a sales team that is doing you know demand generation and and generating leads and then we do, we also have some you know communities that we start to build together so once again, along this theme of generating credibility in the local real estate community, so being a technology startup you know new to property management one of the biggest things we have to fight against is people with 30 years of experience on their business card. So we've uh, found one effective way to create awareness around OneRent is um, really plugging into that community, trying to add new value to real estate agents. So we do have like a, a Facebook community called Badass Real Estate Professionals that we put together um, to kind of deliver, you know, tactical content and, and new value to real estate agents um, and any brokers and professionals. So we go over, you know, some things like, you know, uh, how to effectively run, you know, Facebook retargeting campaigns. Um, we also put together some extensive reports on the state of the rental market that agents can share with their clients. Having this content out there and having these agents with a lot of credibility uh, distribute that content to their clients who may be buying rental property, that's been a really effective way to, number one, create awareness, and number two, create credibility um, and trust around our brand. You just mentioned that you're helping real estate agents run retargeting campaigns. That would fall into the category of what I would call non-traditional marketing. In that category, we would also put things like Quora. How do you think about the value derived of something like Quora? Are you tracking, referral tracking to the site? Walk me through the uh, results framework from an analytics perspective that allows you to be broad in these different approaches, but still have some kind of uh, assurance that things are actually working. The way that I've – and these these things, you know, they're still in their early days, so it's a constant iterative process. But really what I've uh, learned so far is that when working with real estate agents, there is high potential because they're great salespeople. They love to talk. They network the local community. But – um, at the same time, you know, the reality is that the majority of their transactions over the year are selling property to people with 
that it's going to be their primary residence. And so the role of these communities, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm actively writing on Quora and different topics of renting and property management or um, writing these, you know, providing these the, these guides or market updates to agents. Um, some of this content marketing initiatives are really designed to get OneRent to be a top of mind um, kind of, you know, uh, thing for these agents and real estate professionals and have that, you know, when, when we started opening up our Facebook community, some of the first people we invited to the group was all of those agents that we had worked with last year out of those 50. And as I mentioned, we only had 25 or so engaged. Uh, we invited all of them to the group. And um, what we found is that that engagement number of 25, you know, within the first couple of weeks, just you know, jumped up to, to 35. And uh, just having, you know, 10 extra agents who were reminded about OneRent because I was posting, you know, regularly and trying to deliver real valuable content to them, it rose to the top of mind thing. And agents are extremely busy people um, and they don't have a lot of time. And so you are fighting for mindshare uh, with a real estate agent. And the only way you can occupy that mindshare is by really delivering something um, extremely valuable to them. And so in talking with agents, I found that a lot of them, you know, don't really have any idea about marketing. You know, they're great salespeople, they're great networkers, but when it comes to scaling their marketing initiatives, they're kind of in the dark. And so I saw an opportunity there to provide really tactical kind of uh, value. And what I saw out of the result of that was an increase of our engaged partners. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I don't want anybody to be disillusioned here. You're talking about leaning in, creating valuable, high demonstrable value that is above the threshold for what most people are doing. So it needs to be special and unique. But paired with that is the offer. You can create value, create friends, buy beer and chicken wings for a group of realtors, but to actually capture the value back, the offer needs to be tight. And the offer, the approach that you're taking with the partner work that you're doing with real estate companies, the angle is a little bit different. Could you just describe the elevator pitch to me that real estate agents are receiving from OneRent? Sure. So for real estate agents, OneRent is a new business development tool. So um, think about, you know, if you're a real estate agent and you're walking to uh, into a conversation with a potential buyer, right? And, you know, this buyer has some interest in, in becoming some sort of real estate investor. Uh, as a real estate agent, the usual conversation would be, you know, hey, here's some uh, properties I think would be a good fit. Here's what I found out about the ones that you're interested in. And let's say the owner says, okay, I like, you know, these properties. By the way, you know, I'm also looking to, to lease these and or lease this property. Could you take that? And that conversation nowadays, most agents will run away at that point because Taking on a lease or taking on property management is is pennies compared to what you can make with the transaction, of course. And it's not their core business. And so our our pitch is, hey, you know, you focus on your core competency, which is real estate sales. Let us be the partner for leasing and property management. We're not in the sales business and use OneRent as a business development tool. So now you can walk into that conversation with a buyer and instead of saying, oh, you know, I don't think I'll be you know, a good representative to buy this property for you because you're scared of taking on the lease work, you can say, yes, you know, I'd be happy to take on the property and, and run the transaction for you. And by the way, uh, OneRent, 
um, they'll go ahead and, and during the closing period, they'll prepare the property and get it ready for rental. And then, you know, on day one, when you get the keys, your property is listed, uh, available for rent, and they're going to manage every step of the process. Uh, it enables real estate agents to have a conversation with an owner. And of course, you know, if they, if they, they do make a successful referral, there's also a financial incentive uh, where we do, you know, kind of a, a revenue split um, as well as a discount for their client. The lengths that you guys are going to to integrate into the real, realtor's process and to accommodate them is um, pretty significant. In fact, I would say that it's really – it's the kind of steps that I would expect somebody to go through in white labeling a process, but you're not white labeling. You're effectively co-branding what you're already doing because to the real estate agent, it's incredibly important that they still own the relationship. When that property gets sold at some point, that's absolutely a huge concern for them. So not only are you saying verbally, we're going to give it back to you, but more importantly, you're keeping their name in front of the consumer for the duration of their life cycle as a one rent customer. That's really, really interesting to me. That's the difference between reducing it down to commerce, right? You can take 500 bucks and you can chop it a lot of different ways. And for most business relationships with real estate agents, that's what it looks like. Hey, you refer somebody, we're going to cut you a $300 check. This is a lot beefier than that. And uh, I can see why it's, it's working. And I assume it is working, right? I mean, what kind of, what kind of success have you seen with the program so far? Yeah, so you know we've seen that number of of kind of fifty agents now. We we uh, balloon up to around one hundred and twenty agents that we have uh, signed up for our partnership program, and you know at this point we're you know getting. Uh, three to four properties, you know, referred to us each week. And uh, right now we're on a, at a pace of adding around 100 properties a month. And so it, it, it's starting to add up. And it, of course, it's not the majority yet, but it's it's really about building that awareness um, for us. And, and uh, that's where we, you know, see kind of long-term value is, yes, you know, the effort involved in the upfront kind of relationship does require some time and, and personal nuance. But if you can really demonstrate with a few kind of clients of successful transition from agent to one rent, then that becomes a great case study uh, to use to get other agents on the platform and, and to really engage the existing ones. So we've seen a lot of great success so far from there. You know, we, we have uh, now over uh, 150, I would say around 150 to 200 of our units uh, did come from that community um, over the course of our, our time with that building that community. And so it's really delivered a, a lot of doors for us over the, over the years. And uh, we see it as a direct kind of solution to what our biggest challenge really is, is developing that local presence and credibility. Well done. I really like how that offer is crafted. Let's move on now to talk about another offer, a content offer, a lead magnet, if you will. This is something that our listeners are going to be familiar with. And in this case, the lead magnet is crafting a strategic tax plan. I'm looking at it right now. It's an ebook. It's a course. It's multi-part. It's done quite well. With lead magnets, the goal is essentially to start the relationship early before somebody is ready to buy. And this is a really, really sharp one. What kind of results have you seen here? Yeah, so uh, we've we've seen actually that you know the the tax guide when it comes to property management um, taxes is, is one of the most kind of unknown areas. So we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of interest in there, and and so we have this three part. Uh, it's called the buy and hold blueprint. It's basically this three part guide that goes through you know how to identify uh, investments, um, how to you know a smart 
uh, strategy when it comes to taxes and then also how to scale your your real estate investment strategy. And the reason we design the content like this is because the most successful type of customer we work with is what we call the, the first timer. It's the person who just owns, you know, one, two properties, their first time renting it out or, you know, maybe they're an accidental investor kind of situation where it was, uh, they inherited the property. So we've seen that guy deliver us, you know, quite a few kind of uh, units and, and it's and what's great about it is it's it's evergreen content so it's something that's always useful so it's been useful for us not only in kind of um, sustaining a, a lead lead gen but also for allowing us to split out that content into other content as well so yeah i, I couldn't give you an exact number of units that it's delivered but i but i can uh, tell you that's it's sustained um, since we created it almost two years ago it's absolutely an essential strategy, specifically the recycling of content. When you think about kind of the big picture and overall strategy with digital, do you guys have internal resources to handle all that? Do you work with agencies? How do you collaborate on that? Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to digital, we've, we've worked with agencies, but we, we do it all in-house at this point. Um, and so we, we really uh, focus on not trying to be everywhere all at once. We try, you know, running experiments and, and seeing if they, if they work out, you know, I think one really successful experience we found was using our lead, lead magnet, uh, content material and pairing that with, uh, social, you know, retargeting campaigns. And so that's been one area of digital that we've really invested in is, um, you know, taking these contents and really embracing some of the new advertising formats that are out there, such as Facebook's lead ads or Facebook's video ads or even their messenger ads and pairing that together with some of this uh, more valuable content. And that's generated, you know, right now on, on Facebook, we're seeing uh, cost per clicks that are you know, half as much as, as something like Google AdWords and cost per conversions that are, um, you know, much, much lower. So that's where we're, we've started investing more of our resources um, when it comes to digital. Let's talk deeper in the funnel. So you get somebody with the uh, investment guide, they're on the list, they're getting a series of emails. At some point, presumably, they raise their hand and they either schedule a free consultation, something along those lines. Talk me through that sales handoff. And really, before you even get into that, internally, what kind of categories do you guys use? Do you talk about stages like prospect, MQL, SQL? What does it look like internally for somebody to go through that phase of prospect to lead to customer? Yeah. So we do have kind of the, the standard kind of life cycle stages. So we have, you know, subscribers, people are just on our content and then we've got everything, the lead, the MQL, uh, SQL, and then opportunities and, and customers and then evangelists. And so for us, um, when someone demonstrates that they're interested, um, our best kind of call to action has always been, hey, you know, find out what your property is worth. Um, and once again, kind of appealing to that first timer demographic who may not know what their property is worth. So uh, we, we really pull them in that way. And if they have, you know, a property that's w- within our service area um, and, you know, it's, it's coming up for, for vacancy soon or they have an existing manager but want to switch over, um, that would be a situation where it's a you know, well-qualified lead, especially if, if there's a vacancy coming over. That's usually when people switch managers. We, you know, we qualify them. We do have what's different about us compared to another traditional manager is we do have kind of an inside sales model. So borrowing kind of the SaaS model where we have um, sales development team who reaches out to our leads 
and then qualify those. So they ask them a series of questions. For example, you know, have you ever done maintenance before on your property? Um, how much have you invested into maintenance? Have you ever worked with a manager? Um, really making sure that we find the right people to work with and make sure it's a right fit between the owner and one rent. Um, and then they'll set up a meeting with our market specialist. So um, we have someone who can uh, walk through kind of a detailed rental comp. And at that point, it, it does become a sales qualified lead. And once the you know person has that call, that we walk them through our services and the rental comp report. Then we, you know, make the determination, okay, is this, is there a real opportunity for business here? Do they have a property where they're actively thinking about switching managers within, you know, the next 30 days? Okay. So then that would be an opportunity. And then, you know, we, we work with uh, the owner to walk them through our agreements. We do all of our sales over the phone. Uh, 98% of them are done over the phone. Every once in a while, you'll get someone who wants to come to the office. But then at that point, you know, once they're ready to go, then they schedule their first meeting with us at their property to kind of do an onboarding and a, and a walkthrough and complete the agreement. And at that point, they become a customer. And right after they become a customer, you know, we already have the gears turning to, you know, reach out to that owner, make sure they're having a good experience. And if they are, you know, ask them to share their good experience and spread the word. And so, you know, when it comes to thinking about growth, I think, uh, the number one channel that everyone is uh, always chasing after is word of mouth. So that means uh, really investing in a great product and, and uh, a good experience for those owners. If they do make a referral, at that point, they become an evangelist. Um, so then we take extra care of them and their life cycle stage is under that kind of evangelist stage. And we work to get them to continue to refer. I love the holistic life cycle that you just described. There's a lot of clarity on process there. Talk to me about one often neglected issue, and that is the recycling of leads that do not convert. They're, they're effectively going up funnel to revert to being a prospect. How do you guys handle that? Yeah, that's actually an interesting question. So one interesting thing we've played around with is, um, especially with rentals, right? They they have a cycle and most long-term rentals are on 12-month leases. And so what we do is we we recycle the leads from a year ago. We've tried, you know, shorter timeframes, a few months or so, but we found success with recycling leads that are almost exactly a year old. And so those leads that, you know, were pulling into our funnel who maybe had some level of interest um, and were qualified, you know, we'll take those audiences and do, you know, outreach to them via email and, and phone and also do things like retargeting um, so that we have, you know, we have all of these leads information. You don't want to just have it sitting there in your CRM. You want to really leverage that. And so we'll take that out and, and run, you know, retargeting campaigns, whether it's on social or, or display. And that's that's really effective to kind of um, get someone thinking about one rent again. And we have a lot of those clients who come back to us after six months or a year saying, hey, my tenants are moving out. Just remembered, you know, you guys, uh, we talked a while back and they'll be open to the conversation then. And so that, that's been effective for us. And one final thing we do is to recycle leads. Uh, we've been working with a great uh, company called uh, Scout. They do direct mail. And direct mail has been an effective channel for us. And with Scout, um, the beauty of it is you're able to basically track, you know, the performance of each postcard or, or letter that you, you know, send out. And so we've been doing direct mail campaigns now we're getting into the weeds now, but I, you mentioned Scout, and I think being a tech company, did you guys look at using something like Lob, which is a little more completely roll your own? What was the benefits of having some pre-configuration with an option like Scout? 
So we were on lob, and and funny enough, you know, I believe Scout is still kind of uses lob. But uh, what we found is that we were spending a lot of money and time on other systems to track the performance of our direct mail campaigns. So we were using, you know, Twilio and Instapage and all these other tools that that you could Google and just find out. And uh, in order to just track how many people called, how many people clicked on the URLs, how many people visited the page, the beauty of Scout is they have all of that central under one dashboard and they also have some really unique technologies such as you can track anyone who visits your landing page from a postcard but doesn't actually convert you can get that level of granular data um, so you can even remarket to people who may have you know found enough interest to visit your site but didn't actually convert you can get an even more specific uh, audience to to market to a lot of different ways to skin a cat, a lot of tools out there. You talked a second ago when I asked you about the funnel. At the end, you mentioned the evangelist category. If we imagine the funnel getting narrower, eventually at the point of the evangelist, that it effectively gets wider at that point as they're bringing more people into the funnel. Is that a formalized program on a consumer-facing level? How do you incentivize people to get into that category? Yeah, so we do, you know, we have kind of a, a referral program where we give, you know, credit for one of our services to both the referrer and the referee. And then, you know, same thing if you're adding a property. Um, one of the most powerful metrics I think any startup could have is, is this idea of reverse churn. So, you know, thinking about how you can grow the account of each customer. Um, we were starting to build out more formalized process around that really building on top of this concept of, hey, if you own multiple properties, isn't it annoying to have multiple property managers? Why not just centralize everything under one roof? And that's really a message that performs well with those people that um, that own multiple properties. So, you know, it is a formal process. As soon as they make a referral, you know, their their record in our CRM changes to an evangelist. We've got, you know, a set of email that come out from, from our my co-founder, our CEO, kind of thanking them. Man, love it. Guys, go Google negative churn, profit well. Patrick Campbell does a good job talking about this, but it's a powerful, powerful concept. You can maintain your existing level of customer churn, but your revenue churn number can become negative if you can get people to hand you more properties and to refer you more new business. Very, very powerful concept. I just want to hear a little bit more about the tech stack of what else you guys are built on in terms of third-party products. You mentioned uh, Scout, Instapage. What else are you doing in terms of uh, the website, etc.? Did you guys roll your own? Are you a HubSpot shop? What's that look like? Yeah, so uh, right now we do use like HubSpot for our blog and and our email marketing. One of the big challenges of of property management is a backend system that is reliable. And you know, for us, the out of the box kind of property management systems um, don't necessarily accommodate some of the unique features we have, such as you know scheduling on demand showings. Uh, we also do we offer property owners a guaranteed rent payouts each month. So some of these things we we found limitations the existing property management systems so we're actually looking at centralizing kind of all of our uh, back-end sales crm and service into one tool the big uh, elephant in the room is salesforce so uh, we're, we're that's where we're moving to next is uh, centralizing things on salesforce what's the headcount within marketing and sales internally uh, so we have about uh, 15 and and obviously that's going to scale over time. You know, what I tend to say about Salesforce is that all paths lead to Salesforce over time at scale, right? 
it's it's easy to to criticize the platform because it is so diluted in the sense that it caters to a bunch of different sizes of companies and industries, et cetera. But you get big enough. You're a thousand person org. You're a ten thousand person org. At some point, all paths do lead in that direction. So I hear where you're coming from, and wish you much success getting on board with that platform. I want to now move over to the rapid fire section of this interview. We're going to quickly go over some questions that I ask every single guest, and the first question is, how much is too much to pay for a new property management contract? I'm talking about CAC. What's your tap out number? Five hundred. Are we talking including? In, uh, are we talking marketing spend only, or is that including sales labor? Um, that, for us, that's including sales labor. You know, a key part of our business that we didn't that I didn't get a chance to mention is we do have an offshore operation that we built ourselves, a company offshore, and that's where we do our sales. Wow, five hundred dollars! Now, is that number significantly different between Seattle and the Bay, or is it pretty much the same? Uh, that for now, that's pretty much the same. I, I couldn't tell you the, the granular uh, difference off the bat. Fair enough, man. So that's, so is that your target or is that your tap out number? Oh, that, that's, that's like our target. That's our, <laughs> that's our target. Okay. So what's your absolute tap out number? If you've got a, a long, healthy pipe of leads, contracts rather, that will come in at $700 a pop. Do you tap out? Is that too much? What's your absolute tap out number? Oof. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, it, it it depends on, I guess, the the value of the property. But if we're thinking of an average property, yeah, I would say let's say seven fifty. Seven fifty would be a good tap out. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Second question, Chuck. As a marketer, as a founder, who do you learn from? Yeah. So um, I really try to uh, learn from our advisors and mentors. So uh, some of the you know some of the folks I follow in the in the real estate industry. I love following John Burns. He's he's um, actually the the brother of one of our advisors, and he has a great consulting firm that puts out a lot of really good stats on the on the industry and the in the real estate market. And then I'm really trying to you know get get close with any of the um, owners of some of the real estate brokerages. So Bob Moles, he's the the one of the founders of Intero Real Estate, who I mentioned we partnered with. So he's someone that we always go to 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 get advice for real estate and then you know i i i got a shout out to our you know kind of the online community um of real estate professionals whether it be in our in our facebook group or you know through through some of the other organizations like tech estate today um that i've met um there's a lot of really technology forward brokerages and and real estate uh, influencers out there. And it's just about finding them and, and kind of uh, getting to know them. I think beyond that, just uh, just having kind of uh, personal mentors in your life. So my my oldest brother is one of my uh, greatest you know personal mentors who has built a couple of businesses before. And so um, I always go to him for help as well. Very healthy shout out list. This guy is networked up. Next question, <laughs> Chuck, what books have impacted you the most? Hmm. So I actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very into the kind of product side. I, I really love the book, um, sprint. It's a, it's actually a design book. It's Google about, ventures. Absolutely. Yeah. Solid. Yeah, exactly. So that's a great one to just help you think about how to execute on ideas and projects quickly, quickly, and how to build consensus among your team around the solution. And then, um, 
some other, you know, uh, there's a great book uh, called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Ben Horowitz, um, classic, oh, yeah. classic. That's a classic. So that uh, tells you what to do when it hits the fan at your company. And uh, at a startup, it's always in the fan. So it's useful to have that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. A couple of good ones in the mix there. Absolutely. I'm with you on both of those specific recommendations. Next question. What is the number one mistake that you see property management entrepreneurs making when it comes to sales and marketing? I think it's diluting the message. I think property managers historically, you know, you are a licensed real estate agent. And so there is this attraction to do real estate sales and to do transactions on properties. Um, and most property managers do that as their kind of primary business. And so the biggest mistake I, I see, I think, is is kind of a dilution of messaging of, hey, you know, I do real estate property management and sales. And it creates this kind of negative um, experience for the owner because the owner will always think, that there's some alternative motive to you managing their property, which there is because you ultimately want to sell it. Um, so I think that's one one thing that kind of contributes to the fragmentation. And then, you know, the biggest thing is just not adopting technology in, into, you know, your everyday workflow and trying to do everything on your own. You don't need to be the same person that picks up the phone, signs up a client, and also does the showings and the, you know, every step of the way. Um, why not specialize a team, have dedicated teams for each part of the process and design your company for scale? Why not? Yeah, why not, Chuck? Good. <laughs> why not? Great question. Last question of the day. Chuck Hadamer, are entrepreneurs born or bred? I would say uh I would say bred. I would say bred. I think uh it's there is an element of, you know, the environment that you grow up in and and having uh challenges that you need to overcome on your own. Um I think are is a key part of being an entrepreneur, but uh but yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you can solve problems, even if it's small personal problems up to large business problems, um, and you do that in kind of a repeatable model, then you can really um, kind of tackle big problems on your own and, and become an entrepreneur. Well said. Everybody's got a different opinion and there are no wrong answers to that question. Chuck, if people want to keep in touch and find out more about what One Rent is up to, where can they go? Our website is just one rent o n e r e n t dot c o not dot com. It's still uh, still in the in the shopping cart. And then also, uh, yeah, find us on um, you can find us on Facebook if you just uh, search up the badass real estate professionals group and come uh, find me on Quora. I love uh, I just started on Quora, so if you search up my name on Quora, I'd love to answer more questions and, and get more networked in the real estate community. Always looking for people to help uh, kind of teach me more about real estate since I, I am a, a newbie to the industry. Go find this guy online. Chuck, we're going to have eyes on you. Thanks for jamming with me in this interview. It was a ton of fun. We'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jordan. I appreciate it. 